Ah, the lie machine continues. Many of you have uh, reported on. Um, as Secretary Yellen said on Sunday, uh, two negative quarters of GDP growth is not uh, the technical definition of recession. And Mr. President, we're getting right. GDP numbers on Thursday. How worried should Americans be that we could be in a recession? We're not going to be in a recession. To the person uh, who is about to grab their car keys and go to the ATM and take out $3,000, you say what? You don't need to. Your ATM is safe. Your banks are safe. There's enough cash in the financial system. And there is an infinite amount of cash at the Federal Reserve. We will do whatever we need to do to make sure that there's enough cash in the banking system. Oh, you better believe they will. Sitting down with their fingers all busy, adding fake currency, conjuring digits. Zach Abraham's going to help us figure this out. The Todd Herman Show is 100% disapproved by big pharma, technocrats, and tyrants everywhere. From the high mountains of free America, here's the Emerald City Exile, Todd Herman. Today is the day the Lord has made, and these are the times through which God has decided we shall live. We secured for ourselves executive privilege and made uh, ToddHermanShow.com the partner of the week. Last day, we'll be doing that uh, for quite a while. The t-shirts are available there. Go to the ToddHermanShow.com, click on the link for the store. There is, uh, man, a whole bunch of financial stuff. Federal Reserve officials increased interest rates for the first time in 2022. I want to know how this affects us and whether we are in a recession and to what degree that matters and what we should be doing uh, with our own minds. And, and God tells us to not be afraid. He also tells us to be wise stewards to help us put that together. My friend uh, and brother, Chief Investment Officer of Bulwark Capital Management, Zach Abraham, joins us. So, man, another time grabbing you on vacation, you know, but you never stop working. Is there any really vacation for you, Zach? No, not, not I mean, you get used to it. Um, and it's so much easier now that we've got more people and more traders. But it's it's the one downside of this job. You're married to it. So, but, you know, even on vacation, when all, when all I'm doing is just watching markets and making sure that I'm in contact with the trader and stuff like that, it still feels like a vacation. Um, but no, it's, it's, I, I mean, you know, I mean, the stuff we're going to talk about, man, it's coming too fast and too furious. I mean, there's, it's the downside to being an active manager, but, um, uh, I think yeah. it's a small price to pay. You know, in this profession of podcasting, it's, it's, it's such an unnatural thing because in radio, um, even if I disagreed with them, I had colleagues, you know, um, and the ones I agreed with, we agreed to, you know, for the most part, I saw human faces, um, in this thing, podcasting every day is show prep because I'm watching people in stores, show prep. Uh, I'm in church, show prep. Um, you know, I'm listening to any news, really anything. It's show prep. And so people will ask me, what is a real vacation like? What would that be like for you? Where would you go? I go, I would go anywhere where I could do nothing. Nothing electronic. <laughs> right, right. And I mean, what I want is my vacation is there's, there's nothing I have to do. No one expects anything. 
And ultimately, and this sounds horrible, but um, my vacation might include people coming and saying, hey, what can I do for you? <laughs> Yo, yeah. Right? Well, my, my, wife, my wife and I have a joke, which is if we go anywhere with the family, that's a trip. Yeah. Right? That's not a vacation. A vacation is when we go with just the two of us yeah. with no kids or no responsibilities of any kind. Yeah. Because otherwise, I mean, you know this. It's still good to get away. It's just not a vacation because you're sitting there grinding, wondering, and you know, for your in your case, is, did I keep up on this? Yep. Am I covering this? You know, for me, it's watching stocks. It's it's no rest for the weary, man. Yeah, and then you get a week like this. So, um, Powell, <laughs> uh, Secretary Powell, who says that we have a bunch of excess um, savings, he's determined that for all of us. He also says he does not think the U.S. is in a recession. Uh, he says the strong, la strong labor market means the U.S. is not in a recession. And I'm scratching my head thinking, golly, how did we get to a point where uh, we have a strong labor market? Was it by firing so many people and shutting down businesses? And does that make any sense what Powell's saying there? Well, I, <clears throat> it makes sense if you look at the, if you, all you do is look at the economic numbers. Right. And the problem that I don't think a lot of people realize is exactly right down to inflation. You and I, you and I have had this talk, right? When they get inflation down to like two or three percent, I, I don't know that they will, but I'm just saying, if you see them get down inflation back down to two or three percent, they're going to be celebrating and taking a victory lap. Well, what most people don't realize is that to get back to any way, shape or form in terms of where we were prior to COVID, as far as, as far as it goes with inflation, you need to get multiple quarters of negative inflation, right? Because if, if, if we quote unquote slow down at the end of this year and we're at 3%, that means that prices are just accelerating. They're just accelerating not as fast, right? So then you flip over and look at their definition of recession and they have such a mild definition of recession. You know, they're, they're going to talk about uh, labor markets. You're going to hear them refer to something called the Phillips curve which is basically based on labor markets as well. It's, it's, it's more complex than that, but it's, it's looking at, at, at labor markets as, a, as an economic indicator. And so, yeah, you might see net new jobs, but like you explained, right, where are we coming from? You know, why are there these net new jobs, right? We're replacing jobs. We're not making new ones. And then if you look at the way, the, the other thing people don't realize is if you had a steady labor market, meaning you didn't add a job and you didn't lose any jobs and you did that for long enough, just static, no new jobs, no new, right? Just net zero on either side. Eventually the unemployment rate would go to zero the way that they, the way that yeah. they figure it, yeah. even though you have no new net jobs, right? So it, it, it's, Bottom line is this, the, the textbook definition of a recession has always been two consecutive quarters of negative growth in economics. Like you and I have talked about on the show a hundred times in economics, you've got nominal growth and you've got real growth, real growth, which makes sense. Real growth is inflation or, or the actual nominal growth rate minus inflation, which makes sense, right? Because the way we look at GDP, Todd is in, in numbers. So if you have 9% inflation, you're almost guaranteed to show growth because that's how you're calculating it. People are being forced to spend more. So it's going to look like it's like these headlines that celebrate the strong consumer. Consumer spending remains robust. Well, yeah, you're cranking prices at them at, on them at 10% a year, right? right? So yeah, consumer spending is going to look good, 
But are we in a recession? In real economic terms, you look in any economic textbook, it's crazy to watch this do si and they're them t- trying to tap dance around this thing. Absolutely. It's a recession in any economic textbook in the world. And what does that mean, recession? Um, if I'm, you know, let's let's go through some age groups. If I'm 25, okay, bumping the road, I, I'm guessing, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, 35, mm, maybe a couple bumps in the road. Um, I'm 54 and am I balling retirement in six years? Well, see, there's the, there's the, there's the red alert, right? Because you're not, it's, you're not just looking at recession. You're not just looking at economic headwinds and slowing economies, okay. but you're also looking at rising interest rates, which is going to bring stock values down over time. Uh, it didn't happen today, right? Fed hikes rates, NASDAQ's up almost 4%. We, we, we can get to that later too. That's, that's a pattern that's been happening this year. It really wasn't too surprising for us, but, um, you know, if we want to look at the textbook answer to your question, it's the old adage of a recession is when your neighbor loses their job. A depression <laughs> is when you lose yours. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, if you're 25, 35, you may not even feel it. Um, but the interesting thing about this type of recession, we haven't seen this type of recession in, in 40 plus years. Um, and this is the thing that, I, I think everybody needs to pay attention to things might look okay. Now they might look okay a month or two from now. Um, it's going to take time for these rate increases to feed their way through the economy. Um, if the fed continues on this path, I don't care what the stock market does in the interim. It, this will be ugly. It, it will be really ugly if they continue on this path. Now what the market, what you're seeing now in the market, and I don't want to jump ahead. What you're seeing now in the market is the market is calling the fed bluff. The market is looking at the Fed saying, you can say whatever you want. The more you hike, you're just one hike closer to having to cut rates again. And so we're going to call your bluff. Oh, no way. So this is, this is a big poker game. This is, oh, that's fascinating. And so, so there is, I guess in this, uh, I think we agree it's a rigged system. It's, it's a pretty broken system, but there is an adversarial relationship. Is that at least somewhat healthy that the, the stocks are daring the fed or is that yet, or or are those two market manipulators just trying to manipulate one another? I I think that's probably a big part of it, right? Everybody just trying to make money, but, but, but the market isn't dumb. And I mean, look, I, I've said that I think as far as valuations go, um, this is the dumbest market of all time. And, and I got a million different examples to back that up. Unfortunately, that being said, it, 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 there is an element of it that makes sense. Meaning if the fed were to go back to grow, well, they never quit growing their balance sheet. They, they quit growing it as fast, but if they kept, if they ran back up QE and they had to cut rates again, you, you would see a big market rally. And it, and to some degree it makes sense, right? Like we've said before, zero rates and quantitative easing is the financial equivalent of zero gravity. And in a zero gravity environment, everything floats, right? Even steel balls. Right. So, you know, I think, it's the market just sitting there going, okay, have fun, have fun cutting. You're just one, or excuse me, have fun raising. You're just one raising You're one rate raise closer to having to cut again. And, uh, it, and Todd, because they've done this whole playbook, right? The market knows this. You've been doing this for 15 years. The only way this market's going to rally is, is if you're cutting rates and you're holding financial gravity, you know, you're, you're maintaining zero finance, financial gravity. Um, and the fed is going to have to pick, just like so many other central banks in history have, they have to pick one poison. They got to pick their poison. 
do they want sustained higher than normal inflation or do they want to blow up the economy and the stock market? In my opinion, they will end up doing what they always do, which is save the rich guys, right? They will, they will choose to endure higher than normal inflation because who eats inflation, right? It's not the, it's not the guys in BlackRock that they want to pay them $4 million a year as an advisor, right? It's the average Joe. It's the semi-truck operator, right? So they're going to do what they always do. They're going to pick inflation. And to be fair to them, every government in history has done the same dating clear back to the Chinese dynasty. No, I think that, and that makes sense. I mean, uh, because the party's going to take care of party members first. Uh, we got that, but I'm starting to see this now because Democrats are seeing, um, the disappearance of, I don't know how many congressional seats, um, Senate seats. It's now, I was reading today, 74% of Democrats do not want the figurehead to run for reelection. 74%. That, that is, I don't know that I've ever seen that. Um, and we're getting Democrat politicians. Um, Tim Ryan says it's a big mistake to deny people are getting hammered by inflation. He's an Ohio Democrat, um, and he's warning that this is this is denying these bad inflation is driving these numbers down because they continue to to insist this doesn't it doesn't exist. Then they made this pathetic effort. I don't know if you saw this, but the figurehead and his people and, and Twitter was helping him with this. Twitter's making this trend. Gas prices so low. And, and and what they're saying is, and the figurehead even did a video in the past uh, 30 days, 40 days or um, Years something we've seen gas prices uh, go go down by uh, thirty cents, thirty cents a gallon. Uh, it's unheard of savings, and yet they were up what a buck seventy, two bucks. And during the same period of time, that gas hit a record or uh, a twenty-year high. Right, and people go, "Well, what does that have to do with oil?" And you're like, oil and that gas are going to generally move in tandem, right? Because there's switching costs. There's a lot of different power plants that when one gets too expensive, they switch to the other. So yeah, he's driving, he might be driving down the price of oil, but it's leaking out the other end and he's staring at record high gas prices, which is only going to get worse this winter because Russia's shut off all supplies now to Europe. I, I, they're rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Um, the World Economic Forum warned last summer, um, no, the summer before, about a long, dark winter. They've been saying long, dark winter for two cycles. And uh-huh. now with Russia pulling this move and then this, I don't know if you saw this. I would assume you did, although you are on vacation. So when Biden emptied out, or didn't empty out, but uh, got rid of a lot of our strategic petroleum reserves, and sold some of that to China with, in a company <laughs> in which his son, Hunter, is a shareholder. Um, you know, that, that, that was a bunch of our petroleum gone. So they're looking to replace that, Zach. And the figureheads people are cutting a deal. It was two years ago that Democrats were furious when Trump wanted to restock the um, strategic petroleum reserves. Trump was looking to spend $18.84 a barrel. It is right now uh, the big offer that Biden has made is $90 a barrel. So how do you even explain this to people? I mean, I get the spread. It's, Hey, we're going to pay uh, 68 more dollars than, than, than a, a couple years ago per barrel. But what does that even mean for the economy? 90 bucks a barrel, if that's where it is for the strategic petroleum reserves. 
Well, and that's one of the that's one of the interesting things that we said about the SPR, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, meaning that this has been the most aggressive rundown of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve of all time, and you're still staring at 97, 98 crude, right? And and they they also coordinated that with other countries around the world releasing their Strategic Petroleum Reserves too. So you have this false um, uh, inventory, right, on the market that's completely yeah. unsustainable. And one of the things, now they have flexibility in how they do this. I wanna say that the United States rules is something like five years. So they've got five years to replace those reserves. But, but herein lies the problem. Every country, especially with ramping geopolitical tensions and risks, which I think we all know are happening around the world, right? Yeah. Russia, Ukraine, China, you know, there's, there, you know, pick your poison. Uh, I mean, you plot a map and just point to somewhere on the world and chances are there's geopolitical strife there. Right. So. You have in this environment, you don't have a choice. You've got to build back up your SPR, right? You, you, you have to, it's a matter of national security. So the very thing that alleviates pressure at, at some point, they got to restock that. And then, like I said, they have more time as it relates to the rules to build up their strategic petroleum reserve. But I don't think that the time really is applicable in this situation because the geopolitical landscape is going to mandate that they don't use all the time that they have available to them, right? They got to, they got to rebuild those, those reserves faster. And what's interesting is that that rebuilding of the reserves is going to come on right at the time China's stimulus starts hitting the market. Because that's the other thing. I don't think anybody's, you've had this surge in oil prices with a big portion of the second largest economy in the world shut down, right? China. And they're coming back online because I think Z's really feeling the pressure due to what's going on domestically. And he realizes he's got to come out there and ramp that sucker again. Okay. So at the same time, these countries need to step back in there and start buying their strategic petroleum reserves back up, rebuilding those reserves. China's economy is going to be coming out of mothballs. So I I mean, look, I think the price is going to stay volatile. I just think the general secular trend is still higher. You've still done absolutely nothing on the production side. They haven't taken their foot off the necks of producers. Um, you know, and, and the, the other one, I don't know if you noticed this as a side note, the grift is still running really strong. So uh, I pay attention to it. There's a Twitter account that I follow, which is uh, it, it's Nancy Pelosi's stock portfolio. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So they get the live updates. Well, her husband loaded up on really leveraged, uh, I want to say a $5 million chunk of NVIDIA calls a day before the announcement came out that Congress was voting on the new chip stimulus bill. Yeah, I saw this. It's so bad. And, And people don't even realize, literally, if I did something like that, I would be in jail. Absolutely. And these people just do it with impunity. I know. Like she gets, she gets done voting on a bill. Call they call the broker and they go, "Hey, we just found this out. Load me up with five million dollars in video calls." They all, they all do this. You know, I've told too many times. I won't do it again. My Barney Frank insider trading story. I told it a couple of weeks ago, but I was a nobody at Microsoft. I had a field GM title, which was nice, and I got some Gold Star awards, and that was wonderful. Great, great stock. You know, being handed to you. No, I'm not, I'm, I'm not ungrateful. Good, good heaven. It was, you know, I'm very grateful, but as, as a, you know, a middling, I got used to get notes. You are under notice of a deal you're involved in. Um, it could have this effect of stock of our stock price. You're frozen. 
And I'm, I'm not, you know, anywhere near the top. Those guys had to sell in rhythm. You know, the guys who are on the top, um, they had to sell, they had to, you know, give advance warning. They had to go to the company. Hey, I intend to sell, unload some blocks. They had to make that okay. But if I was involved and there were a couple of deals I was involved in that were big enough that I got to know it's okay. Because this deal pens, you cannot buy or sell. Yeah. You, you're, yeah. you're frozen. And for like a quarter. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. they couldn't stop us from buying like Amazon or Google or stuff when, when we knew something like that was going on because we could do that in our personal accounts. And they didn't, there were no rules against that. But with our stock, oh, we, you'd, be, you'd be in such trouble. We knew about companies that we were acquiring and, you know, that were public companies. And we knew the deal was going to close. We knew what the stock price was. But if we did anything like that, not only would we be in trouble with the SEC, the, our, our contract with Microsoft, they'd own us. I mean, they, oh, yeah. they could call oh, yeah. back any stock they'd ever given you. Probably salary too. Yeah. It's even worse than that. It's even worse than that, Todd. So we, we had a client of ours come on that, that had worked at Amazon. And uh, he, he still works there, actually. And he had a big old chunk of Amazon stock that he built up over the years. And um, so what we were going to do this is about a year ago. He became a client. We were concerned about the market at that point, especially tech. And so what we were going to do is we were going to buy a hedge position. We were going to buy puts against his Amazon stock in the accounts he had with us. Yeah. Now his Amazon stock is still at work, right? Yeah. We we're going to buy puts that basically no matter what happened to Amazon stock, he couldn't lose more than 10%. Okay. So I want you to tell us how that worked out for him uh, in comparison to Nancy Pelosi here in a second, Zach, because this, this, this is us. I've been talking about the kiddie table at Thanksgiving versus the adult table. And just another way to put this, right? It, it is absolutely the, the laws are for the little people. It's suggestions for the big people. Zach Abraham's with us, Bulwark Capital Management, uh, knowyourriskradio.com. Yeah, I pulled rank, I guess, as the guy who gets to talk into this mic. I pulled rank on behalf of Dave and Julie and Michelle um, and Jerry and the team that helps put this together. And I should probably add Paul to that and Randy. And, um, you know, it seems like a one person affair in, in, in terms of content creation. And, and until I have Zach on during the week, it is. Uh, but we have taken the ToddHermanShow.com and made it the partner of the week. Uh, that's where the t-shirts are at. It says on the front, the only knee we take is to the Lord. There's two separate versions of the shirts. Uh, one of them has uh, the, the, lion of, uh, the Lion of Judah. Both of them have the Lion of Judah. One has the Lion and the Cross of Christ so that the, uh, at least the image of Jesus Christ is there. And on the back, it says the ToddHermanShow.com. So first comment I got from someone who wore this out in public from Tim. Hey, Todd, I'm one of the people who bought your shirts at the Bothell event. I've worn it in public about 10 times. Three out of 10 times I've been asked about the lion and the quote. I live in lawless Seattle, and it's actually offered me the opportunity to meet people in my neighborhood who are believers in Christ. I never would have met them without this T-shirt. Now I've invited one of them to my church. I've told all three of them. They have to listen to your show. The other people were liberals and were very, very upset at the shirt when I explained what it meant. So I didn't bother showing them the back of your shirt, frankly, because they didn't want to turn my back on them. Tim and Bothell love the show. It's the ToddHermanShow.com. Just click on the store link. Um, and we won't be making this announcement next week. Um, man, in Bothell, we sold a thousand of these in one night. It's a lot for us. And it's a great way to start a conversation and to honor God. And it does help promote the podcast, does help the team out here. 
Go to ToddHermanShow.com. Hit us up on the store link. Zach Abraham's with us, just telling us a story. No, it's a podcast. You can rewind if you missed it. But an Amazon employee, a bunch of stock built up over the years, um, and and Bulwark was just going to hedge for him. Okay, if if maybe a bad thing happens at the Amazon stock, let's protect you against that. And how'd that work out for him? Well, we weren't able to do it. So we, we couldn't, yeah, we couldn't even buy puts on the own stock that he owns. We couldn't hedge it. He couldn't get it through HR. And then you sit there and watch Pelosi coming out of a closed meeting, yeah. right, on the Hill. And immediately, within hours, a purchase of $5 million of NVIDIA calls goes out. It's there for everybody to see. And nobody has any problem with it. I, it's just, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. And insider trading, that's this stuff where they put you in handcuffs. I mean, the SEC can come, they can come to your house and bring the ATF or whoever the enforcement arm is. I think the SEC has their own guns. Everyone does. Social Security Administration has put a, you speak of puts, they put out an order for tens of millions of rounds of ammo. So certainly the SEC. Yeah, that's comforting, isn't it? Because, you know, know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're going to need that. Social security? Yeah, well, you know, I think what they're trying to do is make sure that anytime they want to, they could call those those rounds due and then lock up ammo production um, if they wanted to do that. But that's the stuff. They can put you in the okay. hand bracelets, right, uh, for the insider yeah. trading. Yeah, I mean, remember the Martha Stewart. Actually, yes. the first stock that I – yeah, the first stock I ever shorted, and it was probably not a good thing because I think I would make like 40 or 50% in a single day. And I thought I was a lot smarter than I was, but the first stock I ever shorted was Martha Stewart living. And she, she did this for at the time she was worth one and a half billion dollars. It was a $60,000 trade, right? A $60,000 trade. She spent what? Six, eight months in prison with her own Something money. like that. Yeah. And her own money, with her own money. right? And her own access and her company, and, and she, you know, I, in this case, it's our money. We pay Pelosi. That's our information. The, those are our laws. Those are our books. And that's stealing is what she's doing by giving her husband that information. And, and what I love is every time they just say they're savvy traders, like uh, I don't, not to go way back in history, but everyone likes to go bag on William Jefferson, Blythe Clinton, the third. But I remember when Hillary was turning around and making, you know, just she was she's so good at picking futures, Zach. She was coming out like thousand percent returns on like cattle futures and pork bellies. And dang, that's some that's that's some yeah. wily betting. I mean, that's she's got to be the smartest well, I think on earth. That either that or she got the crop report from Mr. Beeks. <laughs> <You remember? laughs> right. <laughs> She got the crop report. No, I, the, the, uh, the story of Hillary's trading on cattle futures is fantastic too, because if you go back and look at it, and I had a buddy that looked into this, I can't remember the particulars of it, but, um, that look, because she did it with leverage. I mean, she was using futures, right? Just, I mean, just straight juice, you know, uh, like options on steroids is probably the best way to describe it. Yeah. And she made, yeah, like you said, I want to say something like 1,500% in, in six months into her first foray into cattle, cattle futures trading. And you just, and, and I mean, you, and you're going in, I mean, you're on the comics. I, I, I mean, that, that's, that is the most, I mean, that is ground zero of the most brutal traders. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, those are the, those are the scalpers, you know, and to think that you wait in there with no expertise and knock out 550 grand in six months in your first foray into cattle futures trading. 
I mean, come on. It, it's just, it's, it's. So- well, I, I asked, um, and he's passed on, um, Tom Foley. Now we're going back in history. I asked one of his people, because they kept trying to send people on the radar to defeat me, and it never worked. And I asked this guy, uh, and it couldn't because Tom Foley was dirty. I asked him, hey, how come Speaker Foley gets into like um, uh, 35 IPOs per year? Those are hard to get into. How's he do that? Well, Speaker Foley and his wife are, are savvy investors. Right, right. That's savvy. But you're talking about getting in at penny stocks. I mean, he's getting founder shares of companies. He's getting in prior to the IPO, just before the IPO. So he's buying, you know, uh, $1,000 in stock is a million dollars in stock all of a sudden. So how's he, yeah. doing, how's he doing that? And well, like I said, you know, Speaker Foley's a savvy trader. And I said, I remember on, on the show, I said, let me ask you a question. Honestly, do you think anyone believes you? When you say that, because no one out in my audience is going to get into an IPO anytime soon. Does anyone believe you? No. He goes, well, I don't think everyone's as cynical as you. I said, no, not everyone. Oh, <laughs> right. Cynical, cynical. Yeah. Um, there's this in, in our, uh, you know, uh, the rest of our financial news. No, well, not the rest of it, because there's a lot of it. Speaking of the grift is on. You and I talked about uh, free college last week. And the fact that their endowments could pay for this and they're basically, hey, you know, go out and I was thinking about this. They should just go park it in an annuity. So have Harvard yeah. take $50 billion, put it in an annuity. All right. So what do we get per year? Oh, five bill. All right. So we'll take our five bill per year, put some people through school. And now we've got the figurehead in the week where the Fed has bumped up interest rates. I think now it's the fourth time that they've done this recently. And you'll correct me if I'm wrong. The figureheads people have him announcing uh, another $10,000 in loan forgiveness um, and a longer (laughs) months long pause on collecting the student loan repayments and giving it 10 grand away. Um, uh, Remind us again, how free money helps lower interest rates again. How does that? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, right. So yeah, once again, you've got this scenario where you're, you're still stepping on the production. You're not doing anything to address the underlying issues and you're subsidizing demand, right? I mean, that's what you're doing. And, um, you know, you had to see this coming though. You know, I was looking at the inflation in the first six months of this year. I, we talked about it on our show a bunch where I said, look, you're going to get a payoff of student loans. This is the time for bread and circuses. These guys are going to cut whatever checks they think they've got they, They've got to cut to make themselves competitive in the midterms. And you and I both know, you know, when politicians buy a ball, what are they going to do? They're going to bribe. They're going to, they're going to start throwing the free money around. They're going to make it rain. And, um, you know, here we go. And, 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 and that's the issue, but why are all the student loans there? It's because of the excess cost, the overrun cost of college. It's gotten ridiculous. Well, if you start paying off student loan debt, what that is, that is stimulative to the cost of college, right? That's, that is that is another form of financial aid that takes the pressure off colleges, and it's just it, this whole thing is madness. I mean, go look go look at what happened to the private. Remember when was it ninety four where Hillary's law that she passed where where well, she didn't pass it she she was pushing it but um, she got together with the student loan companies and said that okay student loans are the only type of debt that can't be forgiven in bankruptcy proceedings right right. Well, what's happened to the price? And the argument at the time is this will make college more affordable because more money will come into the space. Well, when more when more liquidity flows into any space, prices go up. Right, right? It's, it's supply and demand. Right. So, I, I mean, it's just 
it's all they're just and why she do that? Oh, weird. So there were some people on the Navient board who was one of the biggest education lenders who happened to be one of the big donors to her part. You know, so I it's so I yeah. wait, 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 what, what is it? But let me say it this way. This is a really crude, awful, horrible, disgusting, maybe sinful, I hope not, way to say it. We had an old German shepherd dog that got on in here, Zach. She was, she was, she was really heavy. We loved her dearly. Um, and she would be asleep because she was old and decrepit. You know, she would snore. And for fun, we would put a bowl of ice cream or some cheese next to her. And while she was snoring, she would eat like a sleeve, but she, she was such a hog for food that and she'd eat the food or the ice cream and she'd never wake up and she'd go back to sleep. And that's sort of how I feel about, and this is such a terrible thing to say, but the figurehead, do the grift. Because it's, it's almost instinctual. Like um, he's waking up, I pull numbers of bad, do the grift. I guess a free college. Uh, gas rates have gone down. And, and I do know he has politicians muscle memory that that's really the only time, but that stuff's going away too. I don't know if you've seen this making the rounds, but his teleprompter speech, they, it's like a 40 second long speech. There are seven cuts in the speech in like 40 seconds, seven times they had to say, okay, uh, Joe, let's try that again. Yeah. No, it's horribly, horribly sad. Was that, how bad was that? What I just said about the figurehead? Yeah. I, I mean, again, I, it, I don't think it's sinful to say the King is wearing no clothes. Um, how did they, how did they determine that? Todd was, did somebody do like some forensic look at the tape and they, were they found or you can just, they didn't even try to hide it. They didn't try to hide it. No, it's so obvious. So, okay. He speaks for like four seconds and then they cut. And then, I mean, and, and they try to make it smooth, but they, they don't, they're not trying to hide it. There's like a transition. Um, and then there's another one. There's a side by side where the figurehead got, it has his eyes kind of Clint Eastwood. You can't be pro. Oh no, no. Then he's for, it is in his um, closed eyes. He's saying, we know American people are hurting at the gas prices and they've dropped 30 cents, 30 cents. And he's got his closed eyes. Then when he's talking about Trump, his eyes, they're like a different shape. They go from like really closed eyes to someone slammed basketballs into his head. You can't be a, a pro insurrection and pro uh, democracy. And it's side by side and they released it in like minutes each other, his skin tone. And it's, I mean, it's probably lighting on all this or I don't know. I don't know, but it's so utterly bizarre. People are losing confidence. And when we, when we continue, let's talk about the effect now Four bumps. Is that right? Is it four bumps up in the interest rate? Yeah. All right. So, yeah, you're at, you're at, you're at two to two point two five is right. the official rate right now. So let's talk about uh, homeowners, home buyers. Let's talk about uh, people in um, life stage planning. Um, you know, switches of life stage, moving, uh, putting kids in the college, young people in the college. Let's talk about that. Uh, I do want to address also how to launder money as a drug dealer. Oh, sorry. No, that's next week. That's next week because because you live in a state where there's lots of drug dealers. <laughs> Uh, talking to Zach Abraham, he's the chief investment officer, Bulwark Capital Management. And if you like um, a guy who will call it straight like this, then you can just get in touch with him. Um, his firm focuses on risk management. And I, I mean, he might describe it differently. I describe the sweet spot as five to 10 years from retirement. And they're so focused on risk management. And look, I, I, I sometimes I, I think people hear that and they go, okay, so what, not, not topside? Yes, of course. They want us <laughs> to see growths in our portfolio, 
But, you know, a 10% growth is fantastic per year until you take a 50% hit the year before you retire. Then it ain't good. So that's why there's this risk management focus. Incidentally, we talk about this sometimes. Zach's wife is the chief, uh, no, she's the chief operating officer. Zach is the chief investment officer. And Zach told me last week, I didn't know this, about 90, 95% of his net worth is tied up into this firm. Why does that matter? Well, I'll tell you this. When you're getting a company funded in venture capital, um, your partners in venture capital, they will want you to have skin in the game. And if you've got the cash assets to do that, they want to see you do that. And if you don't have the cash assets to do that, then they want to stack you up on a low salary and a whole bunch of money on the upside, you know, on the return for equity because it's called skin in the game. Well, Zach and his wife's skin is in the game. They treat this like stewarding people's money. That's how they view it. Simple way to get in touch with them is go to his website. He has a great radio show. Go to knowyourriskradio.com or call and someone in the team will get you guys in touch. It's 866-779-RISK. That's 866-779-RISK. Remember this, investment advice can't have a given without a client services agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative, Trek Financial LLC, and SEC registered investment advisor. Yeah, how are they loaning that money? Washington State with all your cartels. And- <laughs> Do they even bother loaning that money? Do they just show up at the bank and say, hey, I'm, I'm with the, uh, the Honduran cartel, just uh, making a deposit? No, I, I mean, I just think that they, I just think they make big donations to the DNC, man. Oh, uh, silly you know what I mean? Like that. Silly it, it, me. <laughs> yeah. Pardon me. Yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's how, that's how the DNC is building their war chest. Yeah. But when you said drug dealers, I figured you were talking about politicians and Pfizer executives. Oh yeah. I, I didn't realize. Oh, no, no. You know, they don't yeah, have to, yeah. have to launder. No, they don't have to launder. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah, you can just hear the cartel heads going, God, those politicians have got a good gig this in the U.S. You know, no they're kidding. like, man, those guys have got made. No they kidding. kill more people than we do. Yeah. They push more <laughs> drugs than we do. Yeah. And they do it all above board, baby. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's like, it's, it's like the movie Tombstone uh, when Doc Holliday gets a badge. Um, and they get saved say, now I'm legal. Yeah, right now, now it's legal. That's such a great scene. Yeah. That is the, one of the greatest, um, movie scenes in the history of all Westerns, Johnny Ringo and tombstone. He's waiting for, um, uh, for Kurt Russell, um, to show up as a uh, white herb standing there in the clearing and in walks this person and he's, you know, silhouetted by the sun and Ringo turns around with this grin on his face and, oh, he's getting ready to, to kill, Wyatt Earp, and then he sees this holiday. He goes, holiday? <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing here? Um, he says, well, you said fight to the blood. I was funny. I, I was funny. I wasn't. I, no, but I, the, yeah, the greeting is, you, why, John Ringo, you, you look like somebody just walked over your grave. <laughs> that is such, <laughs> hey, that's, that's, his, that's his greatest role, oh, Val Kilmer. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. Um, and there's that moment also, um, yeah, where he's getting ready to find us. Say when. Oh, yeah. yeah. Do, do you know, I was in, uh, gosh, this is a diversion, but we'll get to the interest rates thing. My wife and I went to Tombstone, Arizona. And really? Yeah. They have some, they, they have the court papers there. You can look at copies of them. You can see the real ones, but they don't want you touching them, you know, destroying them and such. Um, but you can read the court papers. You can buy copies of the newspaper. 
I bought a book of, of the day after um, the copy of the newspaper. I bought a book about Doc Holliday, which was contemporary to the time. And there was that scene where they were, um, they were playing cards and that guy kept accusing Doc of cheating because of course Doc was cheating. And Doc Holliday says, <laughs> I just don't think I can live my, with myself if we want friends anymore. Here, I'll put my guns down. Now we can be friends. And, and the guy tries to come at him with a knife and, and Doc guts him. And as the guy's dying, Doc turns around and goes, <clears throat> it appears the strain was too much for him to bear. Okay, that's real. That happened. But the way it's told in he court. Said that. Yeah, the way it's told in court is it was a young man who went into a bar to go at Doc because Doc had murdered his dad. This is the way it's told. Oh. And this and, and Doc apparently tried to talk the kid out of it with fancy talk and you're young in the horizon awaits. Go west, young man, and trying to talk him out of this. I've, you know, I've forsaken violence for the day. I'm taking a break. I'm defiling myself, not wanting to defile others. And then the kid attacks him. And, and Doc had put his guns aside. The kid attacks him and got, Doc gutted him. And he sees all these men, you know, furious. You just killed a boy. And apparently that's what Doc did to shut the crowd down as he stood up and wiped his knife off. And he goes, it appears the strain was too much for him to bear. <laughs> Cold, man. Everyone else is going, okay, I, I don't need any. That, that's fascinating that they dug that deep for the research on that deal. No, no, that, that was, was, that was just. Oh yeah. To get that. Yes, it was. And then to make it not a kid because they wanted Doc to be a sympathetic character. Yeah. Yeah. Where he wasn't. I mean, he was a rascal. Yeah. I mean, he, he was not a good man. I mean, he was fighting on the right side of things in that for particular them. occasion. Yeah. He was fighting on the yeah, right side, not the law. <laughs> Yeah, right, right. And even Earp knew it. I mean, you know, even Earp's brothers were highly suspicious. And we, I, I've read a couple of biographies. They never trusted the guy as far as he could throw him. Uh, yeah. But what a, man, that, that movie is just so full. I, every single thing is like a, a one-liner. I mean, it's, I know. Just, it's amazing. Well, bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs> I know, it's, 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 all, it's all good. Uh, before we wrap, then, I'm going to ask you the best movie on finance for the uninitiated, but you don't get to say Moneyball. Um, and you don't get to say Wall Street. So those are two you don't get to say. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cancel those out. So you put that in the back of your big brain. Uh, let me ask you then about the four interest rate hikes. Um, so people in life stage changes, what does this mean for people uh, buying a house, selling a house, maybe people looking at, you know, kids are starting college. What's this mean? So, it, it, I mean, I, I think looking at it in terms of longer term secular trends, mm -hmm. um, I, I just, I don't see any way that we're going to get out of now. And again, it's not going to be consistent. Like I said before, it's going to wax and wane. But I think the biggest thing is that people need, I was just having a conversation with a client today who's all freaked out about the markets and she wanted to get even more conservative. And I said, listen, I understand why you want to feel that way. But I said, remember risk management, means that you need to be good regardless of what happens, right? So if you have some big crash and some big deflationary episode, that's what this portion of your portfolio is designed to protect you against. The flip side of that though, is you need exposure to risk assets like stocks, especially stocks that benefit from inflation, because we're just not used to thinking about inflation as a threat. And inflation is the ultimate threat. Right. It, 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 the analogy I use taught all the time is 
When was the last time we heard in history or even in recent times about a government or a society collapsing because their currency got too strong, right? Never, it never, and that's what deflation is. Deflation is prices dropping against the local currency, right? So deflationary periods like the Great Depression are not fun. They can cause carnage, they can cause pain, but they don't, add, they don't usher in economic disaster. What really is the atomic bomb in terms of finance is inflation. You know, that's what creates a Venezuela. That's what creates a Zimbabwe. That's what creates collapse. So I think that people need to, you know, and I hate to say it and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to just pump our own, our own or or honk our own horn here, but you just need risk management. I, I keep telling people all the time. I'm like, listen, the problem with the portfolio you have right now, or the problem with the way that your personal finances are set up is your personal finances, your portfolio, your whole life, is basically betting on, def- you know, on, on deflationary things. You're betting on lowered interest rates because that's what happened over the last 40 years. And that's why you're getting killed this year, right? Because your whole portfolio is geared for a zero interest rate or low interest rate, low growth environment. And people really need to grasp that you can lose a ton of money by not having enough exposure to risk assets. Now they better be the right ones, especially in an economy like this. But again, it's that whole idea of not trying to be perfect, right? What are we trying to do? We're trying to finance the rest of your life. And, and you said something earlier that I think is really huge. People hear risk management and they think, oh, that means lower returns. I don't think I told you this, but we did a little, we did a little work on this mathematically. And we looked, okay, if you just owned the S&P 500 or the stock market, right? Since 2000, so for the last 22 years, yeah. you averaged about seven and a half to seven eight point to seven point eight percent returns per year. Okay, now if you would have been in a portfolio over that same period of time, then never captured more than seventy five percent of the upside in up years, right? So if the S and P was up ten percent in a year between 20 and 2022, you would have made seven and a half, right? So you never got more than seventy five percent of the upside but you never took more than 25% of the downside. Okay, your average annualized returns jumped to 14 and a half, right? So, so you never got more than 20, you never got closer than 25% of the market return in up years, but you limited loss in down years. Over the 22 years, it doubled your returns, right? So what we're saying to people is it's a math equation. Don't be greedy and think you need to make the most quote unquote while the sun is shining. If you want better returns over time, our clients are a perfect example. Our average portfolio right now, if you go back to January 1st of last year, our stock portfolios are up 14%. Last year, they were up 19 and a half. Market was up 26. This year, market's down 20. It gave back all that. Market's flat since January 1 of last year. Our average client's up 14 right? It's because you said earlier, they're making money and then they give it back in the next 12 months. Yeah, And it's just, if you want to make more money over time, limit your losses and down markets. It's just math. Do you know what the, um, yeah, there's another way to say it. Do you know what the top two items people forget to um, store in terms of emergency um, nutrition food for their families? No, but I'm fascinated to hear what it is. Water. Oh, I already guessed that. Yep. Okay. Cause people think, well, I'll just turn on the tap. No, you won't. Right. I mean, depending on right. where you live. No, actually you won't. 
Um, we have well water, but that's so long as we have electricity. Okay. Right. So, all right. I do have a hand pump. All right. Um, the other thing is can openers. Oh, oh. So you know what? I don't think we've got a can opener. <laughs> so you'll have people with all these cans of food and all right, we've got our water and Hey, you know, let's open up some cans of uh, Hey kids, pancake. Oh, I mean, there's ways to get them open. But you're going to waste a lot of food. And the other, the last oh, one is, sit, yeah. is energy sources. Yeah. That, that people, okay, yeah. we've got water check. We've got can openers check. Uh, we've got our food storage check. What are you doing for when the power goes out? Oh, oh, that could happen. So it's, it's a, it's an unsophisticated way of, yeah, you built upside, you put stuff in your account. Now, did you really plan for the big loss? Right. Uh, so let me ask you the question. Then I asked you and teased earlier, we were talking about, we got grooving about tombstone. What is the best financial movie? Uh, but you don't get to say wall street or Moneyball. Okay. Now, <clears throat> Uh, I think both these movies are highly realistic. They're extremely good. Yeah. And I think the reason they're important is because they give you insight into the way these guys think they're really accurate. Okay. But you can't say those um, two, but that, you, you don't get to say those two. Oh, I can't say those two. No. Okay. No, 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 no. I'm not saying these yeah. two. I'm saying the two that I'm going to, okay. I'm going to bring up here, okay. but, but full caveat, they're, they're not going to be good movies to watch with the kids. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there is some harsh language, but I do think that they're really important for people trying to understand what's currently going on. Okay. So first I would say the big, the big short, I think to understand where we're currently at, you really have to have more than a novice understanding of what happened during 0809 and the type of thinking that led to that, because the same type of thinking is occurring right now. Um, it's not as nuts in terms of home lending and things like that, but there are areas of the market like, uh, private equity that I think are almost as crazy out of whack as real estate was in the way okay. So I think it's that. And then another one, um, and I just don't think they make enough of these movies. Of course, this is what I do for a living. So I'm biased, but right. another one is margin call. Um, it, 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 it goes after, it really focuses on what was happening in the banks during the, the financial crisis. And, um, it really shows uh, just a, an inside perspective. And I just remember uh, one thing I loved about both of those movies is they encapsulated that time so perfectly. I remember several days back th during those times driving around and looking around and going, either I am way off or nobody is paying attention to what is coming down the pipe here. You know, you're driving around yeah. going, I don't think anybody gets it. And it really, they really grab onto that and grab on to why that blindness exists and how the banks, all you know, banks and wall street always piles on and creates the excess and then has this moment where they go. The other one that was great in margin call Todd is they have this thing where they realize they're in over their head and the senior executive goes, all right, blow out the positions. And the traders are going, you do, if we go sell this stuff right now, we are killing every trading partner we have. And he looks at me, he's like, I don't care. It's not us. Right. So just blowing other people up knowingly that was happening. I, I would say, if you want to know how we got here, those two movies are must watches. Okay. That's awesome. The books are even better. Awesome. Books are even better. Awesome. Thank you. I, I love that. I, I think everyone, anytime you get a chance to talk with someone about the profession, then you get a chance to ask them about movies that represented or books that represented. Um, 
it, it's that's always fascinating to me uh, what people choose. My best out of uh, technology, time and technology, accidental empires. It's by far the best. Accident. Hold on. What, it's called, who's in that? Uh, no, it's a book. It's called Accidental Empires. Um, okay. And, and it is a great detailing of some of the people you've never heard of in tech. Um, some of the great moments in tech, like the time that the people who invented the spreadsheet forgot to patent it. No way. Yeah. And that sold the first generations of, of Macintoshes. People would go to a computer store and they'd walk in and say, I want to buy a computer. Which one? The one with the spreadsheet. It was the original oh. killer app. And uh, now I'm forgetting, I'm blanking on the name of the gentleman who forgot to patent that. I met him. Mitch Kapoor. I met Mitch at an event and I said, I hate to bring this up because yes, I'm the guy who forgot to patent the pinch. That's, that's, that's how I'm remembered. I don't, I don't agree that I forgot to patent it, but okay, well, I don't mean to bring that because everybody does. It's a great story. Um, my, Microsoft learned that it was not patented. Um, and that, and that, and that when they moved in and patented Excel, so that was kind of pirated almost. Oh, it's totally pirated. Yeah, I don't know how successful they were in patenting that, but they were able to pirate it and 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 shop it, and that then that launched Office. The other one that's in there is when Steve Jobs was dating a woman at Xerox Xerox Park, and she went and did a um, a tour with the one of the most formative and important scientists, and now I'm forgetting his name uh, in engineering. He's the guy who invented um, uh, Ethernet. He invented. Um, um, some people call him, say he invented email, a lot of other things. And he was a Xerox Park oh. inventor, uh, Douglas Engelbart, Douglas Engelbart. And a bunch, yeah, of, a, a bunch of very successful execs got together later and gave Engelbart's family and he a bunch of money for what he did for the industry. But he capped out at like 80, 85 grand and then maybe some perks as a, as a research scientist. So he never took the ride. And um, he... Uh, took jobs on a tour of Xerox Park and Steve was dating this woman. And so he was going in and she said, Oh, I need you to sign an NDA. He goes, yeah, I can't. She goes, Oh, Steve. He goes, no, I can't. I'm not, I'm not allowed. I can't sign it. <sighs> okay. And she took him on a tour and he saw ethernet. This is, I'm recalling this, this from the book, accidental empires, as I recall. And he saw ethernet email, he saw networking things. He saw um, the graphical user interface. And then he was leaving. She goes, what do you think? He goes, this brilliant stuff. I'm going to steal it. And she laughed. He goes, no, I'm not kidding. Good artists borrow, great artists steal. <laughs> and he just, he just said it. He just came out and said it. Yeah. It's Silicon Valley. Why wouldn't you say it? Well, isn't that, I mean, that's sort of what Gates did with, with IBM and Apple, wasn't it? I mean, he basically just jacked, just stole the concept of Windows. Oh, it was, that was, yeah, I mean, that was an amazing head fake. Um, and I've got a couple of books that detail that. Yeah, so the story is that Gates bought DOS for, I think he spent like 80 grand. Um, there was a guy at a computer repair store in Kent, Washington, and Bill needed an OS because um, IBM had called Microsoft and said, hey, do you have an operating system? And Bill or Steve, one of the two said, yeah. And so they went in search of an operating system. And they were big time hobbyists. They loved computer hobby magazines. They learned about this guy in Kent and apparently went down and stroked a check. 
Uh, you know, abortion pays well. So Bill's dad, eugenicist, that's big money. So uh, Bill's dad had some money and, and Bill's mom had some money. So they stroked the check, um, picked up the OS, and then they shopped it to um, IBM. And on the way there, this, this, is the, this is the lore. And I don't know how much of this part's true, but they had to stop and get Bill a tie because he'd never worn one. He didn't know how to tie one. And you couldn't get into the building without a tie. So they went upstairs and they had this meeting and they presented this option of, hey, yeah, you could buy this from us, but you, um, and it would be, you know, big, big money, or you could license it. They said, license it? What do you mean? Yeah, just license it. That way you can use it and anyone else who wants to build PCs can use it. And IBM's calculus was, idiots. No one's going to build PCs. We're I stinking BM, son. And Steve, um, you know, not Steve so much, Paul and Bill, Paul uh, Allen, God rest them. Um, no, I don't know if he's a Christian. I, I, maybe he was, um, but he, uh, and Bill invented the licensing model that day and they knew that, no, no, there's all sorts of clones. People are making clones all the time. They saw the clone market coming. So the story is that when Gates and, um, and Allen and uh, left the room, or maybe it was bomber. No, I don't think bomber was there, but they left the room. They're going downstairs and the IBM execs were like idiots, fools. Look at what we're getting this for. Nothing. Dimes. And Gates and, and I think it was Alan got in the car like idiots, fools. They don't see the clone market coming. And then it was. Well, and then, and, and that, that, basically, that, basically, that, that basically just gave them free distribution. I mean, that, that, so when IBM took them up on that, they basically just became their distributors, right? Right. And now, okay, so our operating system is out here on all these machines, but you're probably going to want other computer systems, uh, other software in there, right? You probably don't have time to build it when there's, you know, thousands and thousands of hobbyists. And yeah, then they started to push the clone market. And that's the, and that kids, it's a story of how Bill Gates, who may not be a great tech guy, although he's smart and I've been in rooms with them and never, I mean, now he's a psychopath and maybe a sociopath and a killer and a murderer and, and he's fallen into evil, but never say he wasn't clever. And now he's doing it to us, right? <laughs> now he's, now he's doing it. To, why sell when you can force? Hey, he's, he's doing it in places. I told you the story about how we were on vacation down in uh, St. John's, the Island in, yeah. in, in the Bahamas, you know, and I'm sitting there talking to a cabbie and, and uh, I go, you know, how have things been around here? And he goes, brutal. We just opened up like a month ago. And I go, you guys shut down the Island. And, and, and the reason it was interesting to me is because they you know, their economy relies on what 95, 96% tourism. Yeah. So to shut down tourism, you're like, how do you afford that? And he goes, they never really explained it to us, but he goes, Bill Gates came in his mega yacht with two other yachts trailing him. He was here for a week after he left. He met with all the, you know, the people that run the island and everything. And he goes, within a week after he left, we were locked down. So he, this guy was telling, I didn't bring up Gates or anything. Yeah. The cab driver in St. John's was telling me, Gates came in, in his mega yacht, with, left a week later, within a week after he left, we were locked down. Well, Crazy. Funny things money could buy, right? Uh, yeah. Zach Abraham's been with us, uh, Bulwark Capital Management, uh, Chief Investment Officer there. Uh, I'll pray for God's uh, good uh, good guidance for you, armor of God. Thank you for uh, viewing this all as stewardship, Zach. You bet. Thank you so much, man. I'll keep paying, playing, praying for your guys' continued success as well. And 
uh, just cheering you on, man. I love love seeing it. Love seeing it work and love seeing the second act here. Right. Appreciate it. This is the Todd Herman Show. Please go be well, be strong, be kind. And remember, um, we really didn't make that on our own. We rearrange God's molecules, move his stuff around. It's all his. Praise God.